Welcome to episode 615 of the Entertainment 2.0 podcast brought to you by the digitalmediazone.com. I'm Josh Pollard. And I'm Richard Gunther. And this is the show that puts you in control of your favorite movies, music, shows, and games. Hey, Josh. Hey, Richard. It's been a little while. I don't even want to talk about how long it's been, and it's mostly my fault. So yeah, No worries. Let's just Sorry. do it. And Let's just uh, do it. we can just do it because we don't have any feedback this week, but uh, people could have sent us feedback, right? They could have. Our email address is entertainment20 at thedigitalmediazone.com. There's lots of other ways you can send it, too. If you hate email, and that's the only thing that's preventing you from sending us some <laughs> feedback, head on over to the website, www.thedigitalmediazone.com, where the show notes are. And in those show notes are all of the other ways that you can get a hold of us online, on Mastodon, for both of us, on Twitter, for me. Uh, uh, other things like it's all there. So just head on over to the show notes if you want to be a part of the show. Okay. So let's jump into the news then. And I'm actually going to do these out of the order that I have them in the show notes, Richard, because I think the second story here is more important. So I agree. every year at CES, well, when we're there, uh, we get to see all of the latest TVs from LG and from Samsung and from Sony if we had been there this year, we wouldn't have gotten to see new TVs from Sony because they didn't show them this year. So we didn't talk about them in our CES recap episode either. Instead, they, for some reason, waited until March to debut their new TVs, which maybe that makes sense because it's closer to the actual delivery date because these things are all going to be shipping in spring of this year, which is right around the corner. So. What do, what do we got here? Well, of course, the thing that we care about the most is quantum dot OLED TVs. They had one last year. They've got a new one this year. It is absolutely the top of the line model. And the article that we're going to link to about these is from the one, the only person that I really think that, like, if you're only going to pick one person to follow on the entire internet about TVs, it should be David Katzmeyer over wow. at CNET. Yeah, That's an right? endorsement. Right? I mean, it's I even mean, before I worked for the parent company of CNET, that was where I went. <laughs> maybe that's a disclaimer. Maybe we should put in more often. But maybe. I maybe. do. <laughs> I, I, I mean, Robert Heron has always been my go to guy, but I did buy my own TVs based on CNET reviews. So, right, right. David Katzmeyer is the man. And he did get to go and see the new Sony TVs in person. And what he found out about them was that the, the new model, the new QD OLED that is the top of the line model is the A95L. You can start to depict these model names. So the A95L, the A series are their OLEDs. The 95 is just the top of the line. And the L is this year, because last year was the K. So last year's model was the A95K. That's what we're comparing against. Sony didn't give any actual numbers in terms of peak brightness on these things. That's what we're really looking for when it comes to quantum dot OLEDs. Is it brighter? Because that's that's what it's supposed to be. It's supposed to be brighter. That's the, the downside to OLEDs. They are typically not as bright as uh, QLED TVs, and especially not some of the mini LED TVs that are out there. So is it brighter? Well, apparently it is twice as bright 
as last year's A95K. In what regards? We don't actually know. Is it just twice as bright in peak brightness? Is it twice as bright in average brightness across the entire display? We don't actually know. And even if they did tell you, would you really believe it until you heard the measurements from someone else like David Katzmeyer? I'm not sure. So we'll have to wait and see how well it actually performs. Although, to Sony's credit, they apparently had this year's model and next year's model set up side by side so that you could do that comparison, which most companies wouldn't actually do. And he said you could definitely tell a difference in the brightness between last year's model and this year's model. Nice. Yeah. The other big difference is that they've worked on a a better anti-reflection coating. David Katzmeyer in the article did say that last year when he was checking out the QD OLEDs from Samsung and from Sony, that he noticed that they looked almost gray under really bright lights. So the this new anti-reflective coating should help in those situations where you're just in a really well-lit room or in places where you've just got lots of reflections from maybe a large window or something like that in the room. And all of those things will help to make that brightness actually appear more bright than if you just had it in a dark room. So that's all really good. The model sizes, 55, 65, and 77 for that top-of-the-line A95L. Now, they also have traditional OLED TVs. These are the A80L, uh, again, to compare to last year's A80K. Doesn't sound like they put as much effort into this one. It is brighter than last year's model, but only by about 10%. Slackers. Exactly. This sounds like a very minor (laughs) refresh, right? And... These ones are available in 55, 65, 77, and 83. So you can go bigger with the with the older generation of OLED technology there. They also have new mini LED TVs, and those ones go even bigger. The, the new model line is the X. So X for the mini LED TVs, the X95L. Uh, these go 65, 75, and 85 inches. Don't There are other ones. They've got full array local dimming sets and stuff like that, but those are all much lower end, far less interesting, so it's not even really worth getting into. The, the TVs in this very controlled environment apparently look really, really good, but we'll have to wait to see what the reviews actually say once these are made available to the press and then to the general public. But it is nice to see Sony doing this. They've also got some new gaming-specific functionality that they've put into these TVs, a, a new gamer mode, um, which does have some some easy access to controlling some of the more gamer-specific settings and even has a feature that you can turn on that will always put a crosshair in the middle of the screen. Could be really useful for first or third person shooters that maybe don't always have a crosshair. Maybe you're playing a shooter that is in like a hardcore mode where it won't even show you uh, a crosshair for where you're aiming. This would give you a little bit of an advantage <laughs> in that mode um, and might just be useful all the time. I'm not sure. This feels like a gimmick to me. Yeah. But maybe. It strikes me as really weird. And why? would 
you be guaranteed that what you're shooting at in a game is center screen. I mean, it could be anywhere, right? Well, no, it it is typically the the center of the screen. Like as you move your your joysticks around, the the target of your gun is typically the middle of the screen. Hmm. All right. Yeah. Yeah, so that that would work for most games like that. See what happens when a non-gamer comments on games? Yeah, well, good try. Good effort. (laughs) Appreciate it. (laughs) All right, so that's the Sony TVs. Let's move on to the other interesting news in the streaming world. And this one is from Movies Anywhere. Richard and I love Movies Anywhere. It's one of, frankly, it feels like one of the few things that's gone really well in the streaming movie space over the last 10 years. And if you're not familiar with Movies Anywhere, it is basically a service that you you log in. It's not just some fly-by-night operation here. It's owned by Disney. So you you log in and you can link your Movies Anywhere account with accounts that you already have in other movie and TV show retail shops. So like if you buy movies from Amazon and from Apple and from Google Play and Vudu. You can link all of those to Movies Anywhere. And then in any of those apps and in the Movies Anywhere app, you can see everything that you've purchased, regardless of which of those ecosystems you purchased that content. It's really nice to see everything that you own all in one place. It's kind of like Plex, but for the dig- the movies you've purchased digitally or used a digital redemption code from a Blu-ray disc that you've purchased. Yeah, well, almost everything. Correct. It's not quite everything. We never quite got to the panacea because Paramount and MGM and Lionsgate decided they didn't want to play ball with this. So it's almost everything. I'm hoping at least with MGM that changes now that that's under the Amazon umbrella and Amazon's already a player. It would be kind of ridiculous if MGM wouldn't come on board at some point. That's a really good point. It'd be really nice to see soon. Okay, so that's what Movies Anywhere is, but that's not the news. The news is that way back in, well, actually, I think this started before the pandemic. This feature has mm-hmm. been around for a while. Uh, they introduced a a feature called Screen Pass, and what... What ScreenPass does is it effectively allows you to lend movies that you own to your friends. Now, there are limitations on this. Not everything that you have it w- was available to, to, to work in this program. But Richard could say, hey, Josh, if you want to watch Top Gun, I'll lend it to you. And he would send me a code and I would go to my TV and, and do all of this. And bam, I'd get to watch his copy of Top Gun Maverick. There are more details like I like maybe it was that you you couldn't watch it while I was watching it. Like there were all sorts of limitations here. There are limitations. There were timing things yeah. on it. Just like it, it's almost like you were checking it out of my library so that you could use it for a while. Right. And and the reason that we're kind of talking past tense here is because it's about to be a past tense feature. That's the news. Screen pass is going away. Movies Anywhere has decided, for whatever reason, that they don't want to support this anymore. We don't actually know why. The best guess that we can come up with is 
probably low usage because while it is cool and and I've talked about maybe using this service to watch some of the movies that Richard owns because he has a bigger library than I do. I don't think I ever actually did it. <laughs> and if the dudes hosting a podcast talking about this sort of stuff aren't aren't even trying it out, then the general public probably isn't doing it very often either. But it's such a great idea. And so so I am sad to see that it is going away. So uh, on May 1st, you will no longer be able to send screen passes to other people. And by June 1st, you won't even be able to use them anymore. So it will be entirely dead by June 1st. So that stinks. I, I, I would like to see this sort of thing be picked up by someone else. But if it were to be anyone else, it would be limited to a particular ecosystem. If if Apple picked this up, then it would probably only be for movies that were purchased by app in the Apple ecosystem. Right. Maybe, although maybe not, because when when your movies are connected through Movies Anywhere, if I purchased a movie in Google Play, I can watch it in Apple TV. Sure, like it works across all of those. So maybe it wouldn't have that limitation, but I could see it having that limitation. Yeah, so could I. But that's not all they're getting rid of. No. And this this feature that they're killing off is more of a remnant of the early days of the pandemic. And that is that they're getting rid of their watch together feature. And Richard, I am betting that you couldn't care less that this feature is going away. I could not care less about this. <laughs> I'm not. Maybe I tried this once or twice. Uh, and, and a lot of the other video streaming services started incorporating features like this throughout the pandemic where you could both start where two people in different locations could start watching a show or a movie at the same time and and see see the same thing at the same time so sort of like you were sitting on the couch next to each other but you couldn't because you know global pandemic so everybody started rolling out these features and movies anywhere did also and they're saying yeah we're not going to do this anymore either so after June 1st, the watch together feature is also going away. Generally not happy about losing features, but what I'm hoping this means is that they are continuing to reevaluate what the service should be and what sorts of features they should be focusing on. Because while we never really like to see features go away, every time new features are added to a service, those are features that need to be maintained forever. And there is a cost to that, even from the most simple software maintenance aspect of it. There is a cost to keeping software up to date. And I'm not really convinced that that's necessarily what's going on here, but those things do eventually add up and, and can lead to certain features of certain services being cut eventually. I have theories. Okay. So I think they're reevaluating what movies anywhere is what you didn't explicitly say when we were talking about these things is that to take advantage of movies anywhere screen pass or movies anywhere watch together you had to use the movies anywhere app and the movies anywhere app adds little value to 
everything that you have already on your television, except that it is the one place where every title eligible for movies anywhere will appear. And that's not always the case. If you were to go into one of these other providers, if you were to go into one of the partners like Voodoo or like Amazon or like Comcast, you might find that that service doesn't have all of the titles that you have because maybe that service doesn't even offer that title or isn't licensed to provide that title through movies anywhere. So there are some complications there that made movies anywhere the one go-to place for all your movies. So Josh, how many times did you use the movies anywhere app to ever watch a movie? Probably never. Right. And I think that's what they're finding that the app experience isn't where they're adding value. They're adding value as a backend broker. And I think if this is a matter of them reprioritizing where their budget goes and in, you know, eventually a harbinger that this front end experience is just going to go away. I'm okay with that because I don't think it's necessary. What's good about movies anywhere is this kind of cross federation that it does between the services that you have. And as long as it keeps doing that, then I think it's adding all the value it was intended to provide. It's also probably a pain in the neck to secure all of the necessary licensing for the screen pass and the watch together stuff with each of the different studios, because they all have their own ideas on how they want to do that. And they didn't all participate and it has to be renewed every couple of years. So why bother with all that? Why even deal with all of that bureaucracy if nobody's using it? Yeah. And that last part there, I I think is the part that, that seems the most likely that that all of those negotiations that have to happen over and over and over again those cost money too in time and lawyer fees and all of that sort of junk so if if hardly anyone's using it then it doesn't make sense to put the the time money and resources into it right the the one the one thing about your the rest of your idea there though is if if i don't really have a reason to use movies anywhere as an app on my TV or my phone or anything like that, what's to get people to use it at all? How will people even know that they should sign up for this thing? Because every Movies Anywhere partner has a system setting where you can link to all these other services, and that's through Movies Anywhere, and they brand it as Movies Anywhere, and you have an ID of some sort through Movies Anywhere that you then have to, if I remember correctly, every year kind of reauthorize. Mm-hmm. So I don't, I don't think it really matters. I mean, Movies Anywhere was the wider adoption of Disney Movies Anywhere, which ultimately kind of overtook the, uh, the, the, the not Voodoo. What was it called? Ultraviolet. The, the failed ultraviolet experience between studios. And you know, I, I think the value that they offer is still important for people who do buy movies. Now, we are getting to a point where people actually pay for fewer movies now 
and just stream or rent everything. So they're probably also asking themselves some hard questions about, are we still relevant? And, you know, pulling the belt in a little bit is a way to keep this service alive. Yeah. And, and I'm, my family is a great example of that. We purchase very few movies. We rent them occasionally, but I'm a whole lot more likely to purchase a movie that the kids are going to watch because they're a lot more likely to rewatch movies a lot. I'm not. You know, when when Jen and I decided last summer that we wanted to watch Jaws because we had never seen it, I still didn't buy it. Like I'm, I'm probably not going to well, watch this again. Right. We rented it. Right. Right. I do still buy movies, but and I still buy physical copies of movies because I don't want to be well. Let's call it HBO'd now. I don't want to be HBO'd. Right. <laughs> I I actually have Westworld on. Uh, Ultra HD on on UHD Blu-ray discs because I liked it enough that I wanted to watch it multiple times and didn't want to have to worry about licensing. Not even considering that at some point HBO might say, eh, let's take that off the air. It's costing (laughs) us too much to pay those actors the royalties. Yeah, that's still bananas to me. Yeah. Yep. All right. So let's move on to some audio news. And Richard, this story seems right up your alley. Yeah, it's funny about that. And we talked about this also on another podcast. I do spoilers. I'll talk about that later. But we were fully expecting that Sonos was going to be releasing two new speakers. The Verge, of course, had originally broken the preview news, I guess I'll say, about what they're called and what they look like. Sonos is putting out two new speakers, the Era 100, which replaces the Sonos One, just really called the One now, and the Era 300, which is intended to be a follow-on to that mid-tier speaker that they haven't offered for quite a long time, formerly known as the Play 3. So these two new speakers have all kinds of cool new capabilities that the old speakers didn't have. They can still work in stereo pairs as they any real pair of speakers, normal speakers, not bars from Sonos can. They can also work independently and can independently produce stereo audio, which is awesome because that was never possible with the one it was never possible with the three. So being able to just have one speaker and still get stereo out of it is phenomenal. Taking that even further with one speaker, with the Era 300, you can get Dolby Atmos. You can get a surround sound experience from one Era speaker. Pair that with a bar like the Arc, and now you can get a stereo system of like 714. I guess that's including the sub too. So you'd have the sub, but paired with the arc and two era 300s, you can get a full 714 Dolby Atmos at a cost. The new speakers cost surprise more than their predecessors. This is a theme with Sonos. The price always goes up. The new era 100 is replacing the one which cost 229 it is going to be 249 the era 300 which replaced the 3 
which I believe when it was last available cost roughly three fifty, is now going to cost four forty nine. Just as a point of comparison here, the five, which is their high end speaker, costs five forty nine. So this is kind of on the high end for being in the middle from a pricing perspective, but it also has a lot of capabilities. Both of these speakers support Bluetooth. That's new for Sonos. Both of these speakers have USB-C inputs on the back. And you're thinking, what? Why would I want a (laughs) USB-C input on a speaker? What is that good for? Well, a lot of people buy Sonos speakers to hook them up with turntables. And the only way to do that in the past was with the port or the old Connect device that allowed you to take the output from something and then connect it to your speaker. And that something was always analog. Now you can take the USB-C output from a turntable or USB with an adapter and plug it into your USB-C port on the speaker and voila, you have stereo output for your turntable with just one speaker if you wanted it or a pair or however you wanted to set that up. It does not have standard audio in, which just blows my mind. And I can't figure out if that's a cost savings slash money grab thing because they'll sell you a dongle. You can buy a dongle and then you can get a traditional audio in. Same is true for Ethernet. It does not have an Ethernet port. And I believe that with the exception of the two mobile speakers they've put out, that is a first for one of their speakers. All the Sonos speakers had Ethernet ports on them. And the reason for that is because they're way more reliable when they run over Ethernet than when they run on their own internal wireless system. So hopefully, that is something that they have improved. They've improved this wireless ability for them to work on your network and to work together. And then there is a physical switch that will allow you to disable the microphone. Microphone, why does it have a microphone? Because it has the assistance built in. It has the Sonos voice assistant and it has Amazon's assistant. What's missing? Google Assistant, which isn't really surprising right now when asked the CEO suggested that it wasn't because of the litigation that they're in with Google right now, but come on. I mean, come on. Of course it is. It probably is. I'm saying I think it is. I own stock in Sonos. I own stock in Google. Yeah, you know the normal disclaimers. (laughs) The other thing that the microphone is used for is for onboard TruePlay tuning. So in the past, when you wanted to do TruePlay tuning, which is really important to get the best sound out of your speakers. You couldn't do it on Android. You had to do it with an iOS device. And the iOS device listens for the audio from your speaker and figures out the best sound in the room. Now the speaker on board will be able to do that for people with Android phones. So if you have an Android phone, I have no idea why its microphone wouldn't be, except that I guess too many people make Android phones. So How do you know the specs on the mic? Okay, I just answered that question out loud to myself. But their solution is, all right, well, we have a microphone on board. We'll use that to do our true play tuning. So you can just do true play tuning 
for Android users directly on the device. iOS users, nope, sorry. You're stuck with the old way of waving your phone around the room silly for about 30 to 60 seconds. So there you go. Good, good, I think, advancement of the product line. I'm interested in these products, but not enough that I'm going to buy one because I have a bunch of Sonos. And if I want an entry-level Sonos speaker these days, I'm probably going to go to Ikea. Yeah, they do tend to be a little less expensive over at Ikea, don't they? Right. I can spend $130 and get just a bookshelf speaker as opposed to something replacing the one. Now, again, it is going to have stereo, so it's much better than what they offered before. But it's the usual Sonos pricing strategy, expensive or more accurately, more expensive. So do you think, and I'm going to go way back to almost the very beginning of what you said there, you pointed out that the Era 300 is $450 and the Play 5 is $550. Yeah. Do you think this is a sign that we're for sure getting an Era 500 to replace the Play 5 and that that's going to be 600, 600 to 650? Right. Yeah. yeah, I think it's very likely. I think it's very likely. Although, given all of the specs of this device, now I haven't heard it. I don't know how good it is, how well it compares to what, you can get out of the five. The five is a really good speaker. And does the 300 live up to it? Maybe it does. The other alternative is perhaps in the long run, they just kind of, you know, milk the rest of their five inventory and let it die out kind of the way they did the three before. Yeah. I didn't see measurements on this thing, but the Air 300 nope. looks enormous. <laughs> Yeah, so that's a good point. The 300 appears to be roughly as tall as the 100, which is roughly as tall as the 1. So, you mm. know, you're you're looking at something about the size of a 20-ounce bottle of soda or a bottle of water or something like that. Maybe a little squattier than that. And then fatter. But the 3 is about 3 times as wide as the sorry, the 300 is about three times as wide as the 100, at least. So, and it's deeper too. So yeah, it is a hefty speaker. I think it is thicker than the five. I think it is taller than the five, but it is not as wide as the five. It's I mean, it's always really hard to tell in pictures when you don't have much perspective. Yeah, and, and, you know, I could have gone and looked at the dimension specs because I was kind of surprised by the heft of it as well, but I just haven't done that yet. Yeah, because they the Engadget post that we're going to link to has the, the very first picture is the Era 300 sitting on a table that looks like an end table, and it takes up the entire end table. Like, it, if it's a normal-sized end table, <laughs> then this speaker... Looks like it would be bigger than like if you have like a four sliced toaster, like way bigger than that even. And if it's that big, like I don't think there's physical room in their product lineup for an era 500. Yeah, I don't think it is. I think that's actually a good analogy. It strikes me as about the size of a four sliced toaster. That might have to be a, a new unit of measurement on <laughs> one hand. 
It, it might not even be a forest light toaster. Now, now that I'm looking at the Sonos website, it's not, it doesn't look as big in some of their uh, in, environmental, or as they like to call them, their lifestyle shots. It, it's not actually that enormous. So maybe there is still room for an era 500 here. <laughs> it could have been yet another really bad comp composition image where they faked putting the speaker in a lifestyle shot. Yeah. You know what? You're and near the very bottom of the Sonos page. They have a picture that has every speaker in their lineup. Yeah. Almost all of them. And you're right. It is only like two and a half widths of the, well, that's probably the era 100 that's next to it in this photo. Yeah. So it's not yeah. actually that big. Okay. Well, that's good. That's good. Yeah. It's reasonable. All right. Well, the other cool thing that they announced with, with all of this is they, they are really going big on spatial audio. And so this new speaker, at least the new uh, era 300 will support spatial audio from Amazon music. And this is kind of the bigger news here, Apple music. So if you've been wanting to experience spatial audio, you're already an Apple music fan, but you're more in the Sonos ecosystem. So you didn't want to pay 300 bucks for a new uh, Apple HomePod. This is your option. Now, this option cost $150 more than the HomePod, which just feels weird to say that there's a smart speaker out there that costs more than the one from Apple, but it's true. <laughs> <laughs> so that that's cool. And, and they're also bringing the Apple spatial audio support to the Arc, the second gen, and the second gen beam. But the, this new era 100 does not support spatial audio. No. It just doesn't have the capability. It just right. has the two tweeters in it, but the 300 does. The The real news here is that we talked, what, weeks ago, months ago now, I don't know, it's been a while, that Amazon Music was supporting the spatial audio on Sonos, but there weren't many options for that. There was basically the arc and the latest version of the beam. So now you'll be able to listen to that also on the 300. And completely independent of that, Apple Music is also going to be supported. So Apple Music Spatial Audio will work on all those devices that we just talked about. Right, right. All right, well, that's going to do it for our news this week. No gaming news for this week. Wow. Um, yeah, I I kind of whittled it down. There's a little bit of stuff with the Microsoft um Activision Blizzard acquisition, but I'm so tired of talking about it. I would prefer not yeah. to talk about it until it's finalized or killed. So didn't put that in there. We'll see. Uh, so instead, I, I kind of figured that since it's been like three weeks since we've done a show, you might need a little extra time anyway for what's been going on in your entertainment center. Yeah, I don't know this can be that long. I'm continuing to watch The Last of Us. It's so, so, so good. It is appointment viewing. There's only one episode remaining for this first season it has been renewed for a second season what i don't know josh is if the seasons of the show are designed to follow the seasons of the game so i don't know what to tell you in terms of how much game you 
need to have played to not get spoiled by the show. Right. Yeah. But it's I, good. I do need to know that because yeah. a, a little bit of a spoiler for what's going on in my entertainment center. I did pick the game back up again. Good, good, good. But there are two games. There there is a sequel. So I don't I have I have no idea. Because I have read I have well, because I'm barely on social media, I have very easily been able to avoid any spoilers at all about the right. show. So I don't know. And so if someone would be willing to tell me in a very spoiler-free way, do they get into the second game during this season? I would love to know that. Yeah, we need to find out. I don't know the answer to that. I will tell you that there is downloadable content or DLC. Oh, you're learning the lingo. (laughs) That is part of the storyline in the show. So that's kind of cool. Interesting. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. So here's one question I have for you as someone who's watched every episode so far. How much time do they spend in Pittsburgh in the show? Because in the first game, it feels like you spend three quarters of the game in Pittsburgh. That was my my complaint as I tried playing through it the first time. You don't actually have to answer that, but I was just curious. (laughs) I don't know if answering that question would be a spoiler, so I'm not going to answer it. The answer is not what you're expecting. Okay. So, all right. I also have been getting back to a Discovery of Witches season three. We are four of seven episodes through the final season of that. And I honestly think this last season has been the best so far. Every episode has been getting us to want to watch the next one right away. So uh, they did a really good job with that. Up to speed with Ghosts, which continues to be just very, very funny. That's a CBS sitcom. And I. Highly recommend it. It's fun for the whole family. South Park's worldwide privacy tour was one of the things that we watched. We haven't watched South Park in quite a long time, but one of our friends pointed out that South Park came out with something kind of mocking, not kind of, absolutely mocking the prince after his book came out. (laughs) (laughs) And I have to admit, as much as I enjoyed the book and as much as I do believe the story that Prince Harry is telling in that book, I thoroughly enjoyed this completely irreverent (laughs) episode of South Park that just tore them to shreds. And I, I, yeah, I, I just... I recommend it. It's funny. (laughs) It's very entertaining. Last week, Tonight with John Oliver has started up again, so we're watching that again. I am up to date with Picard. Picard is, I don't know, I'm hot and cold on Picard. I am trying to enjoy the show without getting too hung up on its problems. I am watching the after show, The Ready Room, which is hosted by, which I should say is shamelessly hosted by Will Wheaton and all his geekdom. And he just, he's just all there and being a total geek and excited about talking with the different stars about their role in the new show. So that's been kind of fun too. continuing to watch courtship of Eddie's father almost finished with season one. I'm up to date on Abbott elementary, which continues to be great. And I watched a, I don't, I forget where I heard about this, but I watched a BBC miniseries called London Spy, 
It was actually kind of hard to find, and it was just very, very bizarre. I don't know that I would recommend it. I enjoyed it, but it was very bizarre. And then I am continuing my Ted Lasso rewatch, which I need to re rewatch potentially because I fell asleep in the middle of one of the episodes and it's Apple TV. So it just kept playing <laughs> and I'm not quite sure where I was when we last left off. So I might be trying to figure that out later this week and a little bit more of the book that I've been listening to zero fail. So that's it for me, Josh. How about you? I think you probably fell asleep in the episode where Roy Kent gets really angry. <laughs> yeah, that narrowed it. Thank you. Yeah, that, that's, that's all of them. Uh, all right. So for me, um, a little bit of gaming stuff, regular Call of Duty NHL stuff. Also checked out Wolong Fallen Dynasty. It's a new, it, it falls in the genre of a Soulsborne game which generally means it's a really friggin' hard action role-playing game. I've never really played any of these types of games. I didn't play, wow, I'm blanking on the name of the game of the year last year. Um, it doesn't matter. I've never played any of these. Bloodborne, Demon Souls, none of them. And this one was on Game Pass. It's set in ancient China. Like, there's no, there's no better opportunity for me to try one of these games. I suck at these games and <laughs> I <laughs> I do not have the patience to try and learn the mechanics of these games to make it enjoyable. They are intentionally difficult to force you to be a better player. That's a good thing. It's just not what I'm looking for out of a game. I've heard it's it's generally good implementation of it. And if you have Game Pass, there's no reason not to go and check it out. Um as as I spoiled a little bit earlier, I also Started started over with last The Last of Us, the original one, although this is the remake on PlayStation 4. I, I wanted to start over because I barely remember anything from my first playthrough, which was really a couple of years ago, and I never finished it. Like I said, I was kind of stuck in Pittsburgh for a very, very long time, it seemed. So I started over, and then if there was any part of me that thought, all right, I've, I've kind of got the knack for this skin, I'll just pick up where I left off previously. Well, I can't because I accidentally overwrote my save file from my previous playthrough. (laughs) Yeah. There are so many things about PlayStation that I don't enjoy. Their save system is one of them. It's my fault. Like, I'm not blaming Sony for me overwriting the save file. At the end of the day, it's my fault that I accidentally selected the wrong one to overwrite. But there it is. So... I'm only two hours in at this point, so I still have a long, long way to go. But yeah, that game is good. And to make it easier on myself, I'm put it, I've am i put the, the difficulty mode on easy because I'm really just here for the story. I don't care about the challenge. I'm not that much into stealth games because they're tedious. And um, yeah, they, they get kind of boring when you die a lot because you're not super great at being stealth because you're not patient enough to wait for the clickers to walk and walk and stop and make noises and then walk some more. And yeah, no, I just, I just kind of want to keep going. I've also been playing some racing games on my Xbox and I'll cover that more maybe next time after I've gotten a little bit more time uh, to, to try out some new gear for that. So there's, there's a little teaser there on, on how that's all working out. And 
we're watching Ted Lasso. I don't know that we've watched any more episodes since the last time you and I talked. We've been very busy, apparently. Mm-hmm. That's probably mostly my fault and haven't made it back to Ted Lasso. Here's a question I have for you, Richard. Does Apple release all of these episodes at once or is it a weekly thing? Nope, weekly. Okay. So if, because Jen wants to watch all of season one and two prior to this. So it's mm-hmm. going to take us a little while and we've only got like a little over a week before this next season comes out, right? Yep. 15th. Yeah. yeah. So assuming we can avoid spoilers, then maybe it's okay if this is going to take us a little while because maybe we'll get caught up, you know, halfway through-ish the season and then can finish it about the same time as everybody else. Well, yeah. I mean, I I don't know how big spoilers are for Ted Lasso. <laughs> So right. I think you're going to be okay if you dwindle a couple of weeks. Okay, perfect. And I do have a book that I've been reading. That, and I read a lot of like management and leadership books. And a lot of times I don't really bring them up here because it's just yet another boring management book. This one I'm actually really, really impressed with though. And I'm I'm not done yet because I've been taking it slower through a, a lot of books and podcasts and stuff as I've been lenting listening to podcasts and things like that so this one is called the making of a manager and it is by julie jow i should know how to pronounce this the last name is spelled z-h-u-o she was and maybe still is uh fairly high up in the design team at facebook and just lots of really really great management advice especially if you're new to management or you you're thinking about going into management, it's a really, really good book that'll prepare you for it. And not just like a management of designers. I'm an enge- a software engineering manager, and I think it's a it's a really good book so far. So definitely one worth checking out if that fits your career track. And that's it for what's going on in my entertainment center. So if you want to get a hold of us, like I said at the top of the show. Go to our show notes at www.thedigitalmediazone.com to get all of them. But we're on, well, I'm on Twitter at Josh Pollard. The website is at Digimediazone. Richard and I are both on Mastodon with our names. He's Richard Gunther. I'm Josh Pollard. And last we checked, we're still the only ones with those names on any Mastodon instance. But just in case that's changed, you know, find the full link to that over in the show notes. While you're over there, at the digitalmediazone.com, you could check out the latest episode of Richard's other podcast, Home On. What did you talk about this week, Richard? I actually know because I, of course, listen to these as soon as they come out, but oh, I'd rather hear you describe it. Well, first of all, I told y'all I'd be back and we finally have a new episode. The one that I've been coordinating with the co founder of Insean Technologies, Richard Sudek. So, in addition to the local and regular news, we talked about what's been going on for the last couple of quarters at Insteon Technologies. They had acquired all the assets of, that's a bad way of putting it, the IP and the brand of the Insteon stuff and have been trying to roll it out again and build the business back up. So they've been doing quite a lot. I'm pretty excited about it. I personally have been buying some Insteon devices again. And I think it was an informative and fairly candid discussion. And he even 
broke a couple, not news necessarily, but but broke some uh, announcements for them on the show too. Yeah, it, it really was a good episode. And the thing that surprised me was not just how candid he was, but but that was really nice to see. But when when you hear executives at, at small companies on podcast, well, really from any company, it, it is very common that you will get either someone who's just there as a marketing person who's just going to give you the marketing spiel and it's not really all that interesting, or someone who really knows all of the ins and outs but isn't a very good communicator. <laughs> <laughs> and neither of those were the situation here. It, it's it's a really, really interesting look at, at what's going on with Insteon and kind of an interesting little biography of what can happen when a business goes up or, you know, goes under yeah. and someone else comes in to try to save the day. It was really interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks. We, I think we had a, a great discussion. I know I had a great time doing it and I was so excited to get it out. I probably had a record turnover on this one within 48 hours. I had it produced and ready to go out. So next up, we have YouTuber Dustin from the My Home Kit Home channel. He also has a podcast, and I mentioned him before. He's legally blind. We're going to be talking about accessibility in the smart home. Awesome. Looking forward to it. All right. And when we do this show, Entertainment 2.0, we typically record it live over on Twitch. We always record on Tuesdays at 8.30 p.m. Eastern. That's when we're doing it tonight, so that must be the case. Not actually true, so follow us on uh, on the socials to find out when we will be uh, on or just show up one of these nights and click the subscribe button and Twitch will notify you when we are going live. If you like the video experience but can't always make it, we're trying to throw these out on our YouTube channel also. So go over to the YouTube channel and like and subscribe and ring the bell so that you'll get notified when they're on YouTube also. All right, well, that is going to do it for episode 615. He's Richard Gunther, and I'm Josh Pollard. Thanks for listening to Entertainment 2.0. Adios. Goodbye.